0: Hello and welcome to the All-80s Movies Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. I'm your host, Bill Bant, and along with me on this journey back to the 80s is my co-host, Jason Massek. Hello, Jason. Bill, you gotta be shitting me. Watch your mouth. Watch my mouth? You gotta be shitting me. That's right, listeners. Today we'll be discussing the 1987 adventure comedy, Adventures in Babysitting, starring Elizabeth Shue, Keith Coogan, and Anthony Rapp, directed by Chris Columbus. This movie is rated PG-13 with a running time of 1 hour and 42 minutes. So, what is this movie about? What's on the box? If you grew up in the 1980s and went to your local video store to rent this movie, you would find this description on the back of the VHS box. It is What's on the Box. Take it away, Jason.
1: Chris Parker, Elizabeth Shue of The Karate Kid and Call to Glory, agrees to babysit after her dream date stands her up. Expecting a dull evening, Chris settles down with three kids for a night of TV and boredom. But when her frantic friend Brenda calls and pleads to be rescued from the bus station in downtown Chicago, the evening soon explodes into an endless whirl of hair-raising adventures. Babysitters and kids leave their safe Suburban surroundings and head for the heart of the big city, never imagining how terrifyingly funny their expedition will become. Adventures in babysitting.
0: Adventures in babysitting. So that was What's on the box? Let's move on to our earliest memories of this film. Jason, why don't you start us off? I will.
1: I man, again, this is one of those movies, man. I'm just smiling the whole time. And I was smiling when I was thinking of my earliest memories. And of course, what jumps into my mind first and foremost, but the opening credits, that wonderful, wonderful oldie but goodie, that song, Then He Kissed Me by The Crystals. What a great tune. Bill, that song is like a freight train that can't be stopped. (laughs) And it is that song you just can't help but move to. And you know who else can't help but move to that song? Would that be Elizabeth Shue? That would be one Elizabeth Shue. That is correct. Oh, my goodness. One of my favorite opening credit sequences of any movie of all time in the universe of the world. I love this opening sequence because I am still very much in love with Elizabeth Shue. Probably my first film crush and maybe still to this day, especially after rewatching this movie, Bill Bant. I mean, uh, but yeah, this is definitely one of my earliest memories uh, because she is having so much fun and the song is so infectious and it just gets your, your blood pumping and the energy up so high right from the get. So it's a great way to start the movie. And that's I remember. I remember her dancing around in a room, lip syncing, and I remember her jumping on her bed. And she's so excited about her uh, big date that evening. I remember. I was like, "Yeah, here we go." Uh, so I remember that, of course. And then uh, the kids, whom she's babysitting, and technically she's really only supposed to be babysitting one. She ends up babysitting three, as it turns out. But uh, so I remember the kids and their each their their characters and the little girl being adorable. And being a huge fan of Thor, then of course the car. I for some, the, I always remember the car because it is the wood paneled station wagon with midwestern nineteen eighties, and it's just it's oh, yeah. part of it. And we had one as a family. Uh, I'm not even sure if it was wood paneled. I'm pretty sure we had a station. I was trying to remember. It's just what you had in Chicago in the eighties, and of course you think of National Lampoon's Vacation as well. It's just Another, you know, another Midwestern 1980s movie. It's just part of it, right? Part of the culture. So I remember the car and the fact that I, you know, one of my memories from this movie was how excited they were about going into the city. Growing up in a small town called Lindenhurst, which is a Northwestern suburb of Chicago. Of course, I identified with this movie. They're going downtown Chicago. And I remember as a kid being so excited going into downtown Chicago. You're going into the big city. It was a brand new world. And I'll talk about that a little bit more later. So I remember that. And just from the perspective of a child, how it was almost like a mini vacation. And even though the city, you know, when you lived in a suburb of Chicago, it probably took you anywhere from 20 minutes to an hour at at the most to get into downtown. But that's where all the excitement was. That's where the action's at. Uh, I also always remember uh, Thor in the garage. It's actually Dawson, the garage me- mechanic played by Vincent uh, Philip D'Onofrio, as he's yes, credited Philip. in this film. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just call him VPD. So, Thor in the garage, just a, that's a very distinct memory from this film. The time constraint, that's always a great thing in these 80s movies. You know, they got to get home in time before the parents, right? Yes. That's a thing. I mean, we can. Name name that 80s movie where there's a time. They got to get home before the parents do. Yeah. Risky business. Yes. Ferris Bueller's day off. Name, name the famous 80s. Right. So.
0: And they'll take place in Chicago. Yeah.
1: And uh, God knows in the 80s, I was trying to get home before the parents at some point. I'm pretty sure we saw this. I was actually talking to my sister today and told her that we're doing adventures and babysitting. She's not quite the film aficionado I am. She's a fan. But she was like, oh, yeah, that, I remember that was fun. That was a good one. I'm like, yeah, and I'm pretty sure we saw that as a family in the theater, right? And she's like, yeah, I think you're right. And I just recall leaving the theater feeling good. That's it. Just feeling good. Just because I know I sound like a broken record here, Bill Bant, because every, it's like it's how I start every podcast talking about an 80s movie. So it's like, man, it's just, just such a feel-good movie. And I'm smiling the whole time. And yeah, damn skippy. You're damn right. This is another one of those movies. And you can't go wrong with this one. I just, as a kid going, man, that was an adventure. It's in the title, right? Adventures in Babysitting. What a great title. That's why I felt like I had gone on this fun adventure and I could relate because it's kids. It's kids. It's like Goonies. It's like any of those. It's just, it's coming of age. So I can relate. That's what I remember. I remembered relating, got, you know, a little bit younger kids. And the crush on the babysitter definitely could relate to that. And so those are some of my earliest memories. Very, very fond memories of this film. How about you, Bill Band?
0: Yeah, two quick things. Yeah, when I did see the station wagon, I was like, oh, station wagons. You don't see those anymore. As young as I can remember. We always had a station wagon growing up and just going on trips. It was the family car. Yeah. And you That's would get you plucked in the back or you wanted to sit in the back, you know, before we mandatory seatbelt. You're right. Which will never know. And then I was just thinking about this when you were talking about it too. I was like, how many movies have we already done already based on Chicago? So this is our third already. So Risky Business, Running Scared, and now this? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, as far as I know. All right. You have to pick a Philly movie soon. Right. Just to kind of even it up a little bit.
1: Just well, now technically, Witness had wasn't.
0: That- oh, that's true. That's true. All right. So it's three to one. Okay. All just right. take
1: place a little bit. Probably. It's going to be tough. All right. We'll have to do. Oh, that's not an 80s movie.
0: Well, we got Rocky. I was just thinking
1: of it. Yeah, okay. Well, we could do Rockies 6 through 38.
0: That'll catch us up. <laughs> nice. All right, man. My earliest memory of this film was the poster. Oh, I sure. Just remember that great poster. poster. Yeah, it's a great poster. Um, and if you haven't seen the poster, it's Elizabeth Shue and the three kids going up the side of a building Batman style. And it's um,
1: like an escape ladder going up yeah. the side of a
0: yeah brick building. Yeah. So everything you need to know, you're, the, you're definitely yeah. on an adventure. An adventures in babysitting. Yeah. And I just remember that poster for some reason. I just kind of remember walking by theaters and just seeing that poster. And I'm just like, oh, what? what is this? And um, that was really the first thing that stuck out with me. It was a poster. Sure.
1: The screams fun. Yeah. Go ahead, sir.
0: The second thing I for some reason remember about this film is the mustard yellow gloves that Elizabeth Shue wears. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why I don't know anyone that ever owned mustard yellow gloves like that. So for some reason that just stood out to me, of course, you know, the little girl with our Thor hat the whole time, because I really had no idea. I knew who Thor was, but I knew nothing about Thor. So I was like, why does this little girl love Thor so much? Yeah. I always just found that weird. It's just like, here's a girl, she's just wearing this Thor helmet throughout the whole movie. That's just weird to me. I'm like, I know nothing about Thor. I don't know. I didn't know who he That's a
1: Great point,
0: Bill, because I recall
1: thinking that as well as a kid, mm-hmm. we're seeing this movie going, what a, it just felt like a strange idol to have, or uh, yeah. Like to, if a young girl was going to choose a comic book hero, why Thor? It just didn't seem to be at that time. At least I was not a comic book kid, but it didn't seem to be that Thor was in like part of the popular culture at that time. But again, I wasn't a comic book kid either, though.
0: Which is crazy because Marvel is so huge right now. But back then it was more DC. It was more I was more Batman, Superman. Yeah. But Thor, I knew nothing about him. So I just thought that was funny. I was like, why is this girl obsessed with Thor? I don't get it. Yeah. And then, of course, the Babysitter Blue song just always kind of st- it's just you know you, you just remember that yeah the, the song
1: absolutely
0: and then i think the first time i saw this was over at a friend's house because one of my best friends in grade school like his favorite movie was karate kid it was like i would go over his house and be like hey what do you want to do
1: was this marwan's house
0: no oh, okay like most of the time he was always like oh let's go rent karate kid finally this came out so now because of elizabeth shu we had to rent adventures of babysitting so that was the first time i saw it was over at my friend's house I can understand that completely. Yes. So that's my earliest memories. Good stuff, man. I
1: definitely have some initial thoughts, man, uh, that we can get into. And I am going to start with Elizabeth Shue, my friend. I have to do it. Uh, Go I'm, gonna, I'm going to attempt to not spend this entire podcast talking about the love of my life.
0: You get 10 minutes. I'm going to start timing it. All right, Thanks.
1: So what is there to say about Elizabeth Shue but that she is the one? Karate Kid started it all for me, and then this, and to be honest, that's all I ever needed. That's really it. Look, she has a great career. She's still going. She's wonderful. But those two movies were really all that I ever needed. She was the dream girl for me. Uh, you know, This is coming of age for me. You know, We're talking about Karate Kid in 84, and this is in 87. I'm just getting into my early teens. I'm just becoming a teenager. It was it. So going into high school, I mean, she was what I was looking for out of her. I mean, she's the quintessential blonde girl of the 80s movie. She was what I was looking for. And sure enough, I actually did know a girl in high school who uh, slightly resembled her. And she became my Elizabeth Shue. And regardless, Elizabeth Shoe is the perfect combination of everything for me. Naturally, pretty, cute. She has a great laugh, great smile, that girl next door innocence. But she can flash the sexy side in moments. She's fun. Man, she's just fun, and she's funny. She likes fantasy and adventure and romance, and Bill, I just want to hold her and tell her everything will be all right. She's a girl that has it together, man. She's a girl that'll work hard. She'll take care of herself. She knows her worth, and she owns her independence, but wants to be in love and experience life to the fullest, and I just want to share that with her, Bill. I mean, just look into her hazel eyes, and then she smiles, and I'm done. I mean, I'm spitting it's game over. I'm a big fan. She was the ideal for me. And uh, she has a charisma about her that she lights up a screen in just when you talk about somebody just has it. She is that kind of it girl of the 80s, where the camera loves her. And I love her too. And I'll just I'll leave it I'll leave it at that. Um, So the bottom line is Bradley Whitford and I are going to have some words. Built van Oh man. Cuz that SOB goes for I can't even remember the character's name now. It's not even worth remembering. Uh I have it here somewhere and we'll get to it. All right, let me just
0: put this out real quick. Okay. And any girl is going to date a guy with a car with vanity plates? Just go away. You know he <laughs> that's like the number one on the checklist of douchebag. Number one.
1: Okay, okay. So here this I got to tell you real quick here, man. Side story. The,
0: good. So Don't tell me you had vanity plates.
1: Oh, absolutely I had a vanity plates. No, you did I was, not. I had the massive one. I've told I've had told you about the massive one. I the, the I, d- I definitely did. I have I short something oh, yeah. in my put. Yeah, so it's a I had a light. It was a baby blue uh, Ford LTD2. 1977 Ford LTD2. And that thing was a behemoth, just a huge hunk of metal. I had the license plate massive one. M A S S I V the number 1. But one of my great friends from high school, Bob, you know who you are. He had a Camaro, but not like the more modern style Camaro that Bradley Whitford's character Mike has in this film. Okay, Bob had a. He was a fan of the older, uh, the cool, like the sweet old Camaros. Okay, and he had one, and then he put a vanity plate on it called Dude One. But it, we would have fun with him. Let's just put it that way because he spelled it Dude Two D's D U D D E. One mm-hmm. so we would just say, Oh, look, it's dude one. <laughs> <laughs> and that it was awesome though. He had this old Camaro, it had style, it was a little bit rusted out in spots, and there was like a hole in the floor. Like I think it was even on the driver's side, like you could see the road going underneath you as you were in the car. It was sweet, but he was not a douchebag. Bob was a great guy, and mm-hmm. I had a blast with it. He was one of my great friends in high school. So there's a little 80s high school Camaro story. Chris Valenziano is still in touch with Bob. I miss Bob. And if you're out there, man, I need to reach out to you. Reach out to me. So there you go. But the thing is, in this film, Bradley Whitford plays the dream date that I mentioned in the What's on the Box segment. So the film opens with that iconic sequence of Chris Parker, played by Elizabeth Shue, getting ready for this big date. And her date is this guy, Mike, who's played by Bradley Whitford. And later on the film, spoiler alert, he turns out to be the douchebag that uh, Bill had just mentioned with the Camaro, with the vanity place that says, so cool, and he really is a douchebag, and he lies to her, and he ends up going on the date with a different girl. And this is why I say, Bradley Whitford, I should just say, Mike and I are going to have words, you know, because uh, if I, but if I ever meet Bradley Whitford, I'll just be like, dude, I think you're a wonderful actor, man. But... I've got an issue with you, man. I've got an issue because you had Elizabeth Shoe, and You had her right there.
0: Yeah. Let's jump to that other girl. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. One to ten. What's Elizabeth Shoe? Oh, a 10. Okay.
1: You know what? I, I I'll actually say this, and I mean this in the best possible way. I'm gonna say Elizabeth Shoe is a just a really, really strong nine. Cause I like the fact that she's not totally perfect. Okay. Does that make sense?
0: All right. We'll say Elizabeth Shoe is a nine. Got it. The girl that Mike breaks the date off to go with on this dinner.
1: He lies to Chris, Elizabeth Shue, and then ends up actually going on the date with another girl. That character's name is Sesame.
0: Sesame. The same place that they were supposed to go.
1: Correct. French restaurant, downtown Chicago.
0: All right. From a scale of one to ten, what would you give her?
1: I hate to do this, but it's so superficial, but... We're just having fun We're, on this spot We're just having fun. Yes. I would give her, the way they made her up and made her look in this movie. I would give that character on a scale of one to 10, four.
0: I, I was thinking the same thing.
1: Yeah. I give her four. Four. And Chris is a nine. Strong nine.
0: Come on. I mean, you could not. Come on, can, Mike. You cannot cast a girl that was as good looking. So we just did.
1: You know, we not only skipped ahead to. Uh, Sesame, the date that he takes out, but we, that's in my, that's a major complaint. About I fi- that's a huge complaint that I filed. Okay. So we'll, we may, we have to revisit that, uh, but
0: we'll I'm sorry. Right, no, no, don't
1: be sorry. I'm glad we're, we got to cover this. We got to, this is serious stuff we're talking about.
0: <laughs> I forgot because I knew, you know, they ran into it, but I forgot what this girl looked like. And I saw her and I was like, are you serious? Right. This is who you're dumping Elizabeth shoe for. Yeah. totally." No. No. <laughs> Jesus. Um,
1: getting back, It is funny. Getting back to my initial thoughts, I didn't realize for some reason, as big of a fan of I am, of Elizabeth Shoes, that she spells her name with an S, not a Z. It's Elizabeth, Elizabeth Shoe, oh, not yeah. Elizabeth, Beth Shoe. I just didn't, and never knew that until we're doing the research. I'm like, oh, it's, she spells it with an S. Okay, cool. I never thought about that. Here's a question for you because early in the film we meet Chris's best friend Brenda. Yes. Wonderfully played by Penelope Ann Miller. I adore her in this movie. I love her. I think she, I was I laughed out loud multiple times on this rewatch just watching Penelope Ann Miller play Brenda. And Brenda is upset with Chris because she's so enamored with this douchebag Mike. She's like, there's more fish in the sea, and Brenda says something. It's like you only you've only experienced one flavor. It's like Dairy Queen, and my question: Did Dairy Queen really only have one flavor back then? Like, was that a thing that people would get on Dairy Queen for? Like that they were just kind of. I think they were just vanilla and chocolate. That it was just such a stick. Yeah, I did. I couldn't remember. I just thought that was funny. That was just an initial thought. Chris as a name for a girl. You don't really hear that as much anymore. No, you don't. But I love the, the fact that the soda tab is brought up again in this movie. Brenda talks about how, you know, you're, you're drinking RC Cola. Oh, yeah. May- amazing. He's, you're actually drinking it right now. Tab. Are they still make that? You know, I keep meaning to look it up and please let us know. Tweet us. It's probably somewhere. I, I would imagine. But uh, I re- recall tasting at some point. It. it feels like, or I want to say it was similar to Dr. Pepper a little bit, or am I just making an associate? I don't
0: remember that. I know I've had it, but it's been so long ago. I don't remember what it tasted like. I
1: want to shout out one moment that just made, I think this is the first moment where I really laughed out loud because I'm just smiling, of course, enjoying the opening of the film. And then we understand that Chris is not going on this date with Mike because he's lied to her. We know, we know this, but, uh, he told her that, oh, my sister's sick and I got to take care of her. So sorry, I got to, you know, can you take a rain check? And so then Chris ends up getting a babysitting gig and she's going to go babysit the Andersons, mainly the young Anderson girl who is, I think she's like, what, between five and seven years old? Would you say?
0: I would say, I don't know, she seemed around eight, to be honest. Okay.
1: All right. So seven or eight years old, but she has an older brother named Brad and Brad is a freshman in high school. Chris is a senior in high school. She's 17 and she's going to go babysit because she's not going on her hot date. So we get introduced to the Andersons and Brad's got a huge crush on her. And there's a moment where she shows up. It's a really embarrassing, awkward moment. It's a really funny moment. And he asks if he can take her coat and he yanks her coat, like spins her around (laughs) (laughs) then by accident but at the same time you don't know if it's on accident or if it's really kind of purposeful where he kind of touches her hair at the same time it's almost creepy (laughs) it's really funny i'm like oh that's actually some good physical comedy there it was choreographed well they pulled it off well in that moment i thought this was interesting i never picked up on this before not that i haven't honestly i haven't seen this movie from beginning to end in so long but at one point uh the young the little girl sarah is the young girl that she's babysitting, Sarah is going through her purse and she's sees these books that are about going to college. And she asks Chris, her babysitter, she goes, Chris, are you going to college? And Chris goes, no, as if like, absolutely not. And then Brad has a funny reaction saying, thank God, as in, thank God you're not leaving because he's in love with her. So well, that was weird to me. Do you think like, what was it that Chris had against going to college? Did that moment jump out at you at all?
0: I was like, whoa, yeah, college. No, I was surprised by that. I was taken aback. I was almost kind of like, did she really say that? Yeah, it was just a strange thing that jumped out at me. And then I was like, does is
1: that come back into play somewhere in the film where she and I was like, because I couldn't remember. But it doesn't. It's just a strange moment because she has something against going to college or she just really doesn't feel the need to go to college. And that's OK. But she makes it's a very firm statement. Where she yeah. says no. Another initial thought is just, man, I miss Chicago, man. I just want to go back to Chicago in the eighties. And I just, that's again, just relive this nostalgia. I just love the shots of the expressway. Uh, they shot this film in, uh, Toronto, Chicago, and LA, but I, you can pick out the specific, if you're from the area or you've spent time in downtown Chicago, you can kind of pick out the, the certain scenes or shots that are actually in Chicago. So, uh, in the suburbs as well, i I'll just, finish off my initial thoughts with elizabeth shu of course because she has range man she's so funny i she has almost like a lower register that she can go to in her vocal with her vocal quality when she's telling like the ghost story in the beginning when they're driving downtown she starts going to this like goofy voice at the end especially when she says the iconic line don't f with the babysitter she kind of goes into a lower register. She goes, well, we're like really serious. I'm like, dang, she's got range. She's got vocal range. But I think that's it. All I, I you know, the other thoughts I have, I, I know I'll touch on later in the pod. So did you have any other thoughts to, to begin with?
0: Yeah, just two quick things, because you yeah. mentioned laugh out loud moment. I yeah. just wanted to bring that one up for some reason. This one, like quick moment in the movie made me laugh out loud. So we get to the point where the group ends up as fraternity. Right. And Sarah has to go to the bathroom. Oh, and they're like, oh, the bathroom's in really the, to, the bathroom. I know what you're gonna say. It's great. Please keep going. And she's in line. And this whole movie, she's been wearing this Thor helmet. Right. And this Frat brother is walking like past the line. He's got this with these huge horns. And they almost do like this look kind of fist bump thing at each other, just like, Yeah, your hat's so cool. I did a guffaw on that me scene. Me too. Me that too. and that was happening. the biggest laugh
1: for me you see the guy come out of the bathroom with the horns on his head. Typical like frat guy, just looking goofy. And he has a beer in one hand and he kind of looks around and then he looks down and he sees Sarah standing there. this little eight year old girl waiting in line for the bathroom. And she looks up at him and sees the horns and she's got her and she just gives him the thumbs up and they yeah. both do it at the same time. Yes. You know, you can tell he's like a little buzz, and they're like, yeah, <laughs> looking good.
0: <laughs> that scene cracks me up. It was a great moment. And then the other thing that uh, broke my heart was because growing up, you always had a crush on an older girl that you knew you would never, 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 never obtain. Right. And, you know, Brad had this for Chris. And this is the beginning of the movie. Brad teases Sarah. And Sarah says something like, well, when Chris gets here, I'll tell him that you're writing love poems about. And, of course, Chris is standing right behind And Brad has no idea that she's there and he's like, okay, I won't. All right, I'll, I'll leave you alone and don't tell Chris. And then he turns around and sees I was just like, I just felt so bad for him. I'm just like, oh man, it's nothing that, yeah. worse than someone knowing that, you know, would never go out with you, never give you the time of day, finds out you have the biggest crush. Like she handles it really well, but I was just like, oh my God, that was me. I know that girl would have laughed in my face. And oh, I, would have so, been mortified. Yeah. I would have ran in my room and I, mortified would, I, would, is the I word wouldn't have to not been it. in the rest of the movie. I would not have been in the rest of the movie. Cause I would have been in my room crying.
1: Oh, I get it. Absolutely. Because the fear is it's okay. You know, it's okay. It's a fun thing to have that crush. Your feelings are all just coming up and you're, you, it's just a feeling of, you know, it's kind of new and all these things, but you just know you're just so attracted to this older girl and she's like this fantasy and this, just this dream, just kind of walking around and, and, um, you're excited every time she comes over but if she were to ever discover that you had these feelings for her you know she would look at you differently
0: yes and it would just be, that's awkward yeah, be awkward forever yeah be awkward forever then for it her. would
1: it ruins everything it shatters the fantasy and that's where it's not only you're absolutely mortified of course because the embarrassment factor is through the roof but then you know it'll never be the same after that yeah because she knows
0: so kudos and- to Brad for keeping it together
1: yeah. Except for the fact that the moment I just talked about happens immediately after that moment is when he right. tries to take her coat and it gets really awkward on top of it
0: already being awkward, but I would, I would have been upstairs and never took her coat. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have gotten that far. That's great, man. Um, let's move on to our next segment, which is favorite scenes. So what are our favorite scenes of adventures in babysitting? Do we count the opening credit sequence as a scene? Yes, look at all of favorite I mean, scenes,
1: favorite moments. Yeah, because I have a few here, but I, I wanted to keep it to three. But uh, we'll, we'll see it depending on time. Uh, but definitely the opening credits. That has to be my first. It's just fun. She's adorable. I mean, we see her in a, a blue T-shirt. She's wearing uh, like black nylons and she's clearly getting ready for this date. I love the fact that the movie begins with a static shot of a mirror in a girl's bedroom and that's it you, but the, the excuse me i have to take a step back i love the fact the movie begins with you see the touchstone logo come across and then the song then he kissed me by the crystals kicks in and you know that the riff the dun, 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 dun. sing it out way out of tune but the song kicks in static shot of the mirror in the girl's bedroom And then she jumps into frame and she's lip syncing and we're off. And there's this adorable girl, so energetic and, you know, she's in love and she's getting ready. And I think, and I can say this like as a guy uh, comfortably that, you know, I can relate to when you're getting ready for a date, it might look a little different. I might be playing a different song. But uh, the excitement as you you know, when you're a teenager getting ready for a hot date, uh, you put on your favorite music, you get pumped, you're putting on your favorite clothes, you think you're looking good. It's man, you're just full of life. So can't get enough of that because she's jumping on the bed and she grabs the bedpost and she's using it like a microphone, lip syncing the song and she gets the dress on and she just looks downright adorable. Then the bell rings and it's Mike and she's like, oh my God, he's here. So that's my first favorite scene. How about you, Bill?
0: Yeah, I would say for lip-syncing scenes, because, I mean, that's used a lot in movies, that is certainly one of the better ones, because there's a lot of movies you can think of where they do some kind of lip-syncing, not talking about like an actor doing their own song or whatever, but, you know, singing someone else, lip-syncing someone else's song, and they just drag, and they just don't work, and they're trying to be comedic, and it just fails. Right. This is definitely one of the better ones. It just, it's fun. It really just... It sets the tone for the film. This is going to be a fun little bouncy movie. You're going to enjoy it. Great point. So I would say, yeah, yeah. For lip-syncing scenes, this would definitely be up there. It's great stuff. What's your uh, favorite or first favorite scene? So my first favorite scene is about a third of the way in the movie where we establish the fact that, you know, Chris is coming to babysit these kids. Her friend Brenda has um, decided that she's going to run away, but she's stuck at the station. She needs Chris to come pick her up. So now she's got to take the kids downtown. They have an issue with the car. They lose the car. They try to get another car. So all this stuff is just happening. So they get in this other car and the car gets basically carjacked. And they end up at it's, a chow It's chow. actually
1: being stolen. They get into the car as it's being stolen, which is amazing. The car thief is actually in the car, like you assume, like hot wiring it while they're, they climb in. They don't know he's stealing it while, while they're climbing into the car. But uh, anyway, go ahead. Sorry.
0: Yeah. So they get stolen with the car and get taken to the right. chop shop shop. Right. So, of course, when they get to the shop shop, it's a problem because now we have kids who are watching this operation. So they get put in this office and they're going to decide what to do with the kids later. So the kids decide they, they need to escape. And I just love the escape scene. This is my next favorite
1: scene. Oh, Absolutely. is it really? 100%.
0: What I like about it is there's almost like a realistic element to it. Cause I'm like, yeah, those kids could actually get out the way that they do and it would work. I mean, granted, I think someone would see them going across the beam, but there was some, actually some element of realism to it that I liked that. I was like, yeah, these kids would figure out to go through the roof of the office, right? Go across the beam. And there's a window they can go in, climb go across the roof and go down. And then there was just that fun tension. Cause you're going to be like, all right, Who's the one going to slip off the beam or who's the one going to kick the chain or make the sound. And what's great is the carjacker makes a deal with Chris. Like, I will not hurt you. She's like, please don't hurt you know myself and the kids. He's like, nothing's going to happen to you. So he's the only one that's watching this go on. And just his like smile is just like, Man, check out these kids. They're pretty cool. They're, they're right. just figuring out a way to escape. So it was just fun because it was lighthearted. There was, you know, there was definitely the tension. There's a part of the scene where there's like dirt on the girder that they're going across, like literally above all of them. Cause it's like, you know, one of those old warehouse buildings with the old, you know, frame girders and they're, they're walking across this, They get to one of the high windows and one of them literally kicks dirt in someone's coffee. And of course, right away, they just pick it up and drink it. And you're just like,
1: (laughs) yeah, you know, it's a little chuckle
0: chuckle moment. And then they just make it out safely and basically start the the giant chase for me here on out for the rest of the movie. Cause now, right. These The Chop Shop people are after them because they unfortunately picked up a magazine, Playboy magazine, that has all the information that they need to where these cars are supposed to go. So that kind of sets up the next two acts of the of film. You got it.
1: And love that you pointed out so many great things about such a great scene in this movie. Because uh, this was, yeah, my next favorite scene. So many things are established in the scene uh, now that I think about it. Yeah, but uh, again, to clarify for the the listeners here, obviously Chris has taken these kids downtown to you know basically save her best friend Brenda because she got to the you know she ran away from home, got to the bus station, and but now she doesn't have any money and she's stranded at the bus station in downtown Chicago. So they're trying to get to her, but their car gets a flat tire. They end up in a different car, which is stolen, and then they end up at the chop shop. You know, it's funny when you talked about it. I was just thinking about this fact, and I was thinking about it earlier is that this movie works because for me personally knowing that there is a lot of convenience and coincidence that happens in this movie when one scene leads into the next when one set of hijinks leads to the next or one set piece leads to the next where you're like oh my gosh how much stuff can happen to these poor kids in one night right but the way that it is cleverly laid out it's hard to poke holes in it. It's like, you know what? The, I guess that could happen. Technically, yeah. it's a little bit outlandish, but you know, like you said from the get, kind of what kind of movie it's going to be. You already are the suspension of disbelief is somewhat instilled or installed, I guess you could say, because you're just like, I'm going on a ride here. I'm going to literally just going on a, a roller coaster ride. And let's see where it takes me. This is just going to be fun. I don't need to take it, you know, this is not to be taken too seriously, but it's like this sequence. So they get to this chop shop. They're a witness to, they're all witnesses to this illegal activity and they're put in the office and they're being kept there until uh, the baddie, the main baddie known as Bleak, what a great name for uh, uh, our main antagonist is going to, you know, who knows what dastardly thing he's going to do with these kids because they've seen too much. But again, the car thief, uh, that character's name is Joe Gipp. Love this guy. I Man, I remember when I first saw this movie, because you're thinking car thief, he looks a little intimidating at first, and then he's just got a friendly face all of a sudden. You're like, this is not what I was expecting. And he becomes a real help to them. He's on their side. He may be a criminal, but he's like the criminal with a heart of gold. They're in the office. And good old uh, horn dog Daryl, who's the friend along for the ride, he's the little sidekick and his hormones are raging. He sees the playboy on the desk. And in the film, it's Miss March is on the cover, who happens to extremely closely resemble Elizabeth Shoes' character. And that's a running joke throughout the film. Daryl grabs the playboy off the desk, unbeknownst to him, within the playboy are these uh, notes from the bad guy about more illegal activity, like you had said, but the great thing is that, so then, yeah, they go up onto the steel girder and that's where the opening quote from our podcast tonight comes from, because Elizabeth's shoes, like we're going to go across this girder and go out the window. And that's when Daryl says, are you shitting me? <laughs> she says, watch your mouth. And he goes, watch my mouth. Are you shitting me? Kind of like really exasperated. They almost dropped the playboy at one point. And the fat, and what I love is my point being is they add a little realism in there because again, what you, you made that statement, I'm just being redundant here. I apologize, but you made the state. You also made the, you're like, yeah, I probably would see them walking across the girder. However, the point is, I think what they do is that Joe, like I said, does see them. yeah So that kind of lends itself to the realism. He actually sees them, but doesn't say anything. He just watches them almost, like you said, hoping they're going to make it. And he's kind of, he's looking down to see if anybody else sees them. And he looks back up, he's on their side and they just, you know, get out by the skin of their teeth. So yeah, awesome tension filled scene. But I think my overall point is like the suspension of disbelief is still there for me. That's just fun. And you're like, you know what, this could, like you say, this could actually happen the way that they choreographed it and the way it plays out. Like, I'm like, I'll go with it. Okay, I'm in. It's not ridiculous.
0: Yeah, because what happens is it really spirals. Everything just spirals out of control. Like the worst oh, thing yeah. that could happen happens to get to that point. And if they had just walked out of that office, escaped out for that office, and did not take anything, they probably would have been left alone. But the fact that right. they picked up the Playboy.
1: Which becomes the MacGuff- is the MacGuffin.
0: In this yes. Movie. Yeah. That sets up the next two-thirds of the film because now the bad guys, they got to get that magazine back. If they had just escaped, they might have just been like, all right, forget it. So it's just kind of funny how they would have got out of this, but then they set themselves up for further adventures by just picking up a damn magazine.
1: And where does the magazine
0: end up? But
1: in Sarah's backpack and the backpack she's wearing, what does it have on the back is gizmo from Gremlins. And guess who wrote the screenplay for Gremlins? None other than Chris Columbus, who is the director of this film. So there's a little in-joke and I'm already uh, walking all over fun facts and trivia, but I just think that's funny. Uh, There's some good stuff there. So yeah, good call, man. That's another favorite scene. My next favorite scene, you mentioned it already at the top, Bill Band, and that's the babysitting blues. Babysitting blues. Has to be, man. It's great. I mean, we've just established that now our kids are all on the run. From the Chop Shop fellas, that being uh, Bleak and Graydon and uh, our guy Joe Gipp, whom we all we kind of like Joe. But they're chasing him. They're going through the streets of Chicago and they end up walking (laughs) into the, the back area of a nightclub. And they end up walking through a curtain and right on to the stage of a good old blues band, blues rock band actually playing. And this is just fun. Now, this is a moment where you really kind of have to go with it. Yes. I'm going to bring it up again later. But what ends up happening is so much fun that you forgive everything else. That's where I think the genius in this movie really lies is that it's so so much fun and it's well-written and clever in moments where you just are having so much fun. You're like, I don't care anymore about the nitpicky stuff, the small stuff. I don't, I'm not going to sweat that because this. I just want to see what happens now. This is a fun situation and scenario. And so they're on the stage. They kind of interrupt. I think the the band has just finished a song. So it's all quiet. They walk out. And this is an African-American nightclub. And uh, so they walk out and you have, there's these white kids from the suburbs standing on the stage. The musicians are looking at them. Everybody in the crowd in this nightclub is staring at them going, who are these people standing on stage? And Chris apologizes to the lead guitarist and says, look, I'm sorry, we interrupted your
0: little rock concert. I believe is what she says. Oh, yeah. Don't use the word little. God. (laughs) I always find that that drives me up the wall when people say that. How's your little project coming along? Yeah, it's totally condescending, right? Yeah.
1: And uh, he's like that great line, which is uh, no one leaves here without singing the blues. She has to start singing. And they uh, kick into a song, and then the you know the guitarist kicks in with the dun dun, dun 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 dun, and then she keeps talking about what's happening to them that night, and it turns into a blues song, and then she starts singing. The kids kick in, and it's some great stuff. And then the crowd gets into it, and they're all cheering them on, and the band really gets into it. And some of the lyrics here: uh, There's nights you swear you were born to lose, like tonight, and you wish your feet were walking in someone else's shoes. Some guys are out to get us and Brenda's probably dead. We ain't got a nickel and they should be in bed. <laughs> and you <out> are <laughs> out of luck watching these guys. I've got the babysitting blues. Baby, baby, babysitting blues. So some great lyrics. It's a lot of fun. And here's where I go. Like Elizabeth, Shue is just a star. When she gets into it and she starts dancing and I can't get enough of her tussling in her hair because when she's like shaking her head and her hair gets all tussled, I'm just like, I love you. I love your relationship. What? I I'm, I'm bearing my soul nothing. on this podcast and my nothing. my true love
0: <laughs> nothing. I I can't wait till our attorney reaches out to us. <laughs> it's like uh, yeah, I got this restraining order. She's so much fun, man. It's a great scene. Uh did you have any comments on that scene or uh do you want to
1: move on to your next favorite scene?
0: I would say it's a very it's not a favorite scene. It's just a very memorable scene. Yeah, okay. like you cannot Fair watch enough. this movie and not remember this scene. Yeah. In the context of the film, it really doesn't make any sense whatsoever. I don't know if you had this down for fact and trivia, too, but Chris Columbus went to the writer, David Simpkins, and said, I want a blue scene. And David was like, What, what are you talking about? How, how, how do you want me to put this? And he's like, No, put in a blue scene. Make it work. You know? Oh, that's great. So, yeah, David says, like, yeah, I can take no credit for that scene whatsoever. That was Chris Columbus's idea to do that. That's great. And I, I failed to mention that the capper of this whole scene is that they get out, right? Uh, everybody's cheering
1: him on. And Elizabeth shoe is literally giving people high fives in her mustard-colored gloves <laughs> yes. as she's going out. It's really funny. And so, like, the crowd is cheering him on as they are leaving. But the bad guys are right on their tail. So you have Bleak and his main thug Graydon and those guys they're coming through the club, trying to work their way through the crowd to follow Elizabeth Shue and the kids. And then of course the blues guitarist stops them and says the, again, the that great line, nobody leaves this place without singing the blues. Yes. And so yeah. they look at him like, really?
0: Yeah. The scene itself is awesome, but it's just like how they get into it and how they get out of it. Oh, it's completely. So yeah. yeah, that is the
1: one that's where you can really make that argument that it's ridiculous that wouldn't just that would never happen <laughs>
0: but,
1: but man it's still fun what else you got
0: all right so i'm jumping all the way to the end unfortunately so so at the end of the film there's the race to get home before the parents right so at the end of the movie they end up going to the party where the kids parents are and now they have to beat them back to the house and they literally pass them on the highway and it's like yeah. all of us got a duck and it's like oh my god you're on a highway going 80 miles an hour <laughs> exactly. and you're ducking like- and it's just that fun. They get to the house and they have to clean everything up in like five minutes. Yep. And, you know, the parents are coming in and they pull up and they're doing their little ha ha, ha ha You know, we had a great time and oh, I can't seem to get my key in the door. And you just like, clean, 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 clean. Get everything upstairs. Quick, put your jobs on quick, 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 quick. And then, you know, the parents open the door and Elizabeth Shue just hops on the couch and like, how was everything go? And it's just that cute little, oh, everything was great. There's, there's no problems. Right. I just love that stuff. I just love that quick comedy race of time segment and i just love how that movie closed out with that it was just fun it, it, it made it made me smile i thought it was funny because even when she ran into the kitchen for some i'm like oh my god there's that pasta all over the floor and sure enough you see her go right to the pasta after that and just clean up all the pasta that brad had spilled earlier in the movie and i'm like okay oh god, gotta, get, it, get, it, get, it, get, it, get it don't leave any clues and um yeah that must be Chicago thing too, because he had the same thing in Risky Business where right. Joel is trying to get all the furniture in the house before the parents come back from the, the airport. And you have uh, Ferris Bueller trying to get back to the house before his parents get back. But yeah, I always love that. I always love that that race to, to beat the parents. Because you know, as, as a kid back then, you're like, yes, yes, the kids are going to oh, win one. The kids absolutely. are going to win one. You got it. You nailed it. That's really what
1: it is. It's one of those things, you know, it's tense when you catch yourself tensing up watching the scene. You you know it's just a movie and it's just fun, but you're like, oh man, I hope she I hope she gets I hope she makes it. She, oh boy, there it's just, this is going to be close. This is going to be close. Got to don't forget to clean that up. Get and then I love. There's a really really brief moment that I caught this time where she finds she cleans up the kitchen and then she just whips the, the <laughs> yeah. dish right <rack> at the <laughs> sink. <Yes. laughs> I love that like. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great toss. Like, it's a great moment.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. There's a great comment. Now I can't remember it. And I'm going to screw up the quote, but when they all duck in the car, when they race past, because they see the parents on the expressway going home and they pass them, they're like, Oh my God, tell me that's not your parents' car. And they're like, that's our parents' car. All right, everybody duck. And then you cuts to the parents in the car and they're like, who are those maniacs driving so fast just to think our kids are going to be you know, on driving, these roads, yeah. driving someday when it's their kids in that yeah, car. Yes. <laughs> There's some cleverness. There's some good writing in there. It's just, it's a lot of fun.
0: Glad they did not recognize the car. But then again, everybody had the station wagon, so right. So they were okay. See, I'd buy that stuff. Yeah. Did you? So that was your. Was that your last? Uh, yeah, that was stuff? yeah. So.
1: I'm going to keep this one brief, but I have to go with one last favorite scene. And that's what I'm just calling the Thor scene because it's a feel good scene. It's not very long, but the way it starts is really cool because they're kind of going. It's now late night. They're they're going back to Dawson's garage to retrieve their station wagon. And they're being driven by this nice gentleman frat boy <laughs> who they met at the party. And they're going down a somewhat isolated road, downtown Chicago. And there's like this strange, eerie green hue coming because they're going down. They're going like underneath. I don't. I forget what you even call that when you're going under. It's not. You're not going under an overpass, but it's. um,
0: Yeah, I always found that weird that location. The garage. It was. Yeah, it almost seemed like it was an underpass. But it feels like another.
1: They're going into the underworld. It's and it's purposefully done that way, and it's lit that way because it's all this green light is emanating from underneath so they go below into this underbelly where this garage happens to be Dawson's garage and Chris and the kids all go in to retrieve the station wagon they owe 50 bucks to the mechanic and out comes Vincent D'Onofrio wearing this ridiculous blonde wig under a red hat and he looks like a giant Vincent D'Onofrio is a tall dude to begin with but yeah. the way it's shot i mean he comes out in his jeans and boots and uh He looks like a giant. So he does look like a Thor type. And we have then this great moment with little Sarah who idolizes Thor and she can't stop talking about Thor. She dresses like Thor. She's got the cute helmet she's wearing with the wings on the sides the entire time. And she's got Thor's hammer on her, you know, hanging from her belt the whole time, little cape, the whole thing. So when she sees him, she's like, oh, my God. Oh, and and one of the great things is in the beginning. Uh, when they're driving into the city, she's looking at one of the skyscrapers and goes, that's where Thor lives, which is wonderful. So it's all been set up for this moment when they see the mechanic. And of course, Sarah thinks it's actually Thor. And it's like, wow, Thor is going to be the one to give us our car back and save the day in a way. And he turns out to be a jerk. He's like, you only gave me 45 bucks here. You're five bucks short. And you're not getting your car back unless you get my money back. And then little Sarah comes up to, to him is like you're not supposed to be like this and basically gets him to change his mind it's a very heartwarming moment it happens pretty quickly you kind of have to go with it but i love the setup and the fact that this tiny little girl versus this giant kind of gets him to soften up in the moment and to find the good natured uh side of himself and he then Let's him take the car out of the garage. And then, uh, but the movie's not over, actually. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot more stuff happens after that. But uh, yeah, so I always liked that scene.
0: I think what's amazing to me is that Vincent went on from that, where that's probably the best he's ever looked in his life. Yeah. And then yeah, he's in, yeah, he's in great shape. Yeah. And then the next movie he films after that is Full Metal Jacket. Wow. And wow. see the transformation of what he looks like from Adventures of Babysitting to Full Metal Jacket. Yeah, I would not believe it's the same guy. Yeah, that's crazy.
1: I'm you know, I'm a D'Onofrio fan, I always have been.
0: I, I love that guy. Yeah, yeah. I'll be honest too. Like, with that scene the first time, I was like, Oh, why is he being such a dick to the Oh, it's Come heartbreaking. Their-
1: yeah, he's breaking the girl's heart by
0: being yes. such a jerk. I was like, Come on, it's five dollars. Yeah, God, tire for 50 bucks. That's awesome. No, you'd be lucky to get a tire for three times. Oh, the cost. yeah. Well, yeah, 50 bucks is such a big deal back then. Mm-hmm.
1: I used to make that joke with a, a girlfriend of mine, uh, because and this is like I'm in my mid to late 30s, even we went to I think we went to the Renaissance fair at one point. She's like, Did you bring some money enough for the day or whatever? And I remember saying to her, I was like, I'm rich. I have like 50 bucks. <laughs> because I was acting like a kid, you know, because that's what we were thought as a kid, is like if you had 50 bucks on it, you were you were doing pretty well. Yeah. That's so much pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> By the way. Yes. Don't ever go with just fifty bucks to the Renaissance fair. It'll be gone in five minutes.
0: Oh yeah, it will. We're we're just spreading tips everywhere.
1: Oh hey. That's what we're all we're just here to help, guys.
0: All right. You got anything else for favorite scenes before we move that's
1: on? That's it. That's all I got for favorite scenes.
0: Yeah. So that brings us to our next segment, which is the Swiss cheese, and complaint department. And why do we call it Swiss cheese? Although this movie is delicious, it does have holes. So if it does not fall under Swiss cheese, we just file a complaint with the complaint department. You said earlier you didn't have any Swiss cheese, did you?
1: That is correct. I do not actually have any holes to poke, although maybe something will come up in a complaint that I file. Okay. But um no, mainly I have a list of complaints.
0: I just have one Swiss cheese. Yeah, go for it. And this is, does Chris or the kids have no other friends to call for help at any point in this movie? <laughs> you know, back then there was pay phones like every other corner.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Call somebody collect. Yeah. Call somebody. I have this, yeah, that's a good point. And I have this issue with Brenda as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I'll just bring that up now. So I guess that could be a hole as well. I think that okay. is kind of a hole too. Right. Is, I have the same complaint or whole regarding Brenda because she has to wait a long time for them to show up. And she goes through hell at the bus station. Brenda, that is. And you would think at some point she go, I've got to exercise all options here. I may just give in buckle and call my dad and or stepmom because my friend's not showing up. Yeah. Like you got to call somebody else at Mm -hmm. this point, but that's a good point from the perspective of Chris. Going, look, this is getting way out of hand here. Let's make a, a phone call to somebody. And it doesn't have to be the parents. Like they don't, she doesn't have to give up entirely, like on um, getting home without the parents knowing. She just have somebody to call.
0: I mean, you've already established Chris is a nine. So <laughs> she's gotta have more friends than Brenda. She's got it,
1: yeah. She knows some people. She's got other girlfriends.
0: Or even you would think at this point, you don't know about Mike. So you're trying to give him a call. Then that would be the little suspicion like, wait, what do you mean Mike's not there? Ooh. Oh, Ooh. right. Foreshadowing, a little foreshadowing.
1: And by the way, they all have each other's numbers, like all the houses, because early in the film, the phone rings at the end. Once Chris is at the Anderson's house and the parents have left, and now she's officially in babysitting mode, the phone rings and she thinks it might be Mike. Yeah, I thought that was weird too. And then it's Brenda. She thinks Mike has been ca- calls her at the Andersons' house, not her house. This would be Mike somehow has the Andersons' number to call her there, which he could. It's actually Brenda. So her best friend Brenda calls her at the Andersons. So everybody would have seems to have the Andersons' numbered, I guess.
0: Yeah, like Brenda would know she was at the Andersons. Why would Mike know? Does because Mike, say- if Mike
1: had called her house, Chris? Oh, house. Oh, that's true. Then her mom might have been. Oh, she's at. She's babysitting at Anderson's. If you want to call over there, there you go. That's very logical. That's, that's what I. I yeah, I buy that's that. what I thought. Okay, and that's, that's how. It, to be honest, that's, that's how, how things was. worked. Yeah. yeah, that's how it was back then. You know, yeah. it definitely. Yeah. I mean, that's how you know my mom would get a hold of me and yell at me. Yeah, So and so told me you were over at their house. Yep. You get your butt home now. Yep. Like, is
0: Bill there? Send him home. Who ratted me out?
1: mm Hmm. But everybody had everybody's like it is supposed to be Oak Park, Illinois, Mm -hmm. uh, which is not far from where I grew up. And that's how it was in those little neighborhoods. Uh, Everybody knew one another and you each had each other's number
0: in case of emergency. Yep. So. All right. All right. So complaint to Marvin. So I have a complaint since we were kind of talking about Brenda. What the hell was Brenda's plan? Thank you very
1: effing much. That was my second complaint. Okay. I wrote this. Brenda didn't think this through. What Not was her all. plan? That's what I wrote down. What was yeah. her plan?
0: <laughs> what the hell? Okay. I get it. Maybe you're doing that. I'm going to run away. I'm going to get on the bus. And where the first bus goes, that's where I'm going.
1: Okay. For the moment decision, maybe, too. You know, she's just upset and kind of says, I'm going. But still.
0: You run out of money before you even get to the bus?
1: She spent all of her money on the taxi cab getting to the bus station. Then what was she going to do? Like, what was your what's your plan, Brenda? Come
0: on. You got to
1: think at least two steps ahead.
0: You would think you would know you would call to find out what a bus ticket was. Of course, you would use the thing called a phone book, call the bus station and get the t- you know, what's the next bus that's leaving? That was that's such a that's just an essential common sense part of the plan. It's like,
1: yeah, I want to leave. How am I going to leave? <laughs> yeah, means I have to get on a bus. How will I do that? How will I purchase a ticket? Well, yeah, it is really funny. It's like, wow, you really, really just l- ran away from home without a thought at all. I'm surprised
0: she even was able to pay for the cab. Yeah.
1: To get to the bus station. Yeah. yeah, That's a great point. That's a big one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I maybe would have bought it more if she backed out and just wanted to come home and didn't have enough money for cab fare. I don't know. The fact you get to the bus station and have no, like literally no money. She can't even buy a goddamn hot dog.
1: <laughs> that's a great scene. I was going to talk about it a little bit later. All right. uh, but so uh, there's a lot of great stuff with Brenda in that bus station that I find hilarious. But that is ridiculous. That that part that she just didn't even. I kind of buy the fact that she didn't, but it just, I don't know, because she seems really all over the place.
0: Yes, that's true.
1: But still.
0: And pack your backup glasses, please. <laughs> Jesus, come on.
1: Uh, Penelope Ann Miller. She's She plays that desperation so great, though. She's just freaking out the whole time.
0: That's her best movie. That's all I got to say about that. Yeah. All right. All right. There we go. All right. What else do you got for complaint? My point?
1: first uh, complaint that I filed with the complaints department is the fact that I think Sarah is a little liar. You know why? Uh-oh. The very top... When Chris is getting her, you know, instructions, her babysitting instructions, the mom says, "And here's Sarah's cough medicine." And you hear Sarah in the background go, "Yeah, I've been coughing for two weeks. You need to give it to her once. I think it's like in, like in an hour, and then once before bed." She's like, "Okay." We don't hear Sarah cough not once. I don't think in the entire movie. Did you? Is there a moment when you hear Sarah cough?
0: No, but my wife had a laugh when we find out that Chris forgets her purse. But she remembered to bring the cough medicine with her. She's
1: supposedly been coughing for two weeks. She needs that cough medicine. I didn't hear a cough went out, Not even
0: once. No. Nope. She didn't even get phlegmy. And
1: I have, a theory, I have a whole theory because we see at one point when they've climbed into the car that's being stolen and the car thief is driving with them and driving away and uh, Chris is losing it and she's like, you need to take your cough medicine. She never actually, you don't see her give her the cough medicine.
0: No, yeah. but you remember Rig a Spoon too. Do you a spoon? Cough medicine? Yeah. Which is so funny because you think about it as kids, medicine, we would just use a teaspoon. Now now you get the cups. Right. You know, the 10 milliliter, five milliliters. God knows what we were taking as kids. Yeah. We could have been taking 20 milliliters for all we know. I'm surprised we're not all dead. I'll just, Overdosing.
1: <laughs> I'll just my friend used to say this. You're all gooped up on GOP. Yeah. Oh, hooked on cough medicine.
0: Uh,
1: All right, man. Uh, I've got another little issue here. Little complaints. Yes. Once they get onto the stage at the the Blues Club, which is called the Silver Dollar Room, which is a great name. Yes, it is. It takes them a little too long to realize that they're on stage. It's the whole cutting back and forth between crowd reaction. They're on stage. They're like slowly moving up to the front of the stage, looking around. I'm kind of like, if it were me... And I walked out onto a stage like that. It would be immediately noticeable, and I would get the hell out of there. I would back away, go a different direction, get off the stage, whatever
0: it is. But they kind of slowly creep, and they're like, "What is this place?" And the fact that an audience member doesn't say anything like, right. get the "Fuck awful. off the stage!" Yeah, like they hold.
1: It's a really, really kind of extended. Oh, we're here on a state, We're in this really, really awkward situation. We're we going to. So that was just a. Kind of a
0: minor complaint, but still a complaint. Anyway, what else you got? All right. Going back to Brenda. She loses her glasses because she misplaces them and the lady picks them up. <laughs> yeah. There's no way yeah. she ever finds those things again. Even if she knew. Right. She didn't recognize the lady and she cannot see well enough to see those that lady's wearing her glasses.
1: All right. Yeah. She yeah. Never yeah. Finds good point.
0: Yet. That's a great point. They're gone. Sorry, Brenda. You don't know what the hell you're doing. Oh, yeah. She's a mess. <laughs> yeah, she's a mess. Chris, why are you hanging out with her? Is that your pity friend? Come on. Uh This is kind of a strange moment for me, but then I'm going to
1: revisit this a little bit uh, later in a kind of an overall commentary that I have. Daryl's got confidence, man. Again, he's like, he's what Chris calls, calls him a sex fiend at one point earlier on, which oh, yeah. is funny because he's yeah the little horny teenager. Right. So uh, he's Brad's best friend who's tagged along for this adventure. At one point when they're you know, walking the streets, basically on the run from the bad guys. They encounter some women of the night. Yes. And Daryl is in mid conversation with a prostitute. And I was like, wow, this kid's got some gold. Like he's got some cojones. That was a little off putting. I, I don't know if it's just because of the how, the perspective I'm looking at it from now. It was more than that. It just felt uh, that scene felt a little off. And I kind of understand why it was there. Cause then they talk to the prostitute and they learn that she's 17 and it reminds them why they're there in the first place. Like, Oh my God, Brenda, we got to go get Brenda. Mm-hmm. But it was a little weird, Daryl talking to a prostitute. Yeah. Something was off about it. It didn't feel it felt, I didn't know if that scene was really necessary.
0: Yeah. It kind of messes with the tone. Yeah. It's a little strange, but yeah, that scene definitely takes you out where it's like, all right, all of a sudden we're going to talk to a prostitute. Yeah. I agree with you. Did you have
1: uh, another complaint? Yes.
0: <laughs> You'll like this one. All right. How did Chris's parents let her date Mike? He looks like he's thirty years old. They're, oh, you, oh, come on! I know, right? I mean, we, we've already established he's a douchebag because he's got van lights, and he, he like when he opened the door, and, and you know, first like, oh crap, I forgot it was Bradley Whitford. Oh, totally. He looks like he's fifteen years older than Elizabeth Shue.
1: Which pretty much, so at the time of filming, he's probably 27. Yeah. So she's 23 during filming and he's 27. Mm-hmm. And she's supposed to be 17 and he's supposed to be either 17 or 18. No, no way. No way. He looks like a, a grown adult. Yes. Granted, a young adult, he looks like his age.
0: Yeah. At least. If that guy came walking out my driveway with those douchey vanity plates, like, turn around, man. I'm gonna get my shotgun. Yeah, you're not coming anywhere near my daughter. Way. Yeah, no way.
1: No. That is. Oh, I'm glad you brought that up. Definitely. Okay. That's a major. Yeah, that's definitely a
0: complaint. Yeah, he well, looks well, way too old. You should go date that uh, that massive kid down the street. He's really nice. I think uh,
1: he just wants to take care of you.
0: Right, got I got anything I, else? Let's <laughs> see. Now I'm just
1: right, now I'm sorry. just going. My my mind just start going sorry. down.
0: It's more stuff for the restraining order. Damn it. Um. You got anything else we could play, Department?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. All right, go ahead. So I love the side characters in this—the the characters that they meet along their adventures. And one of the first ones that they meet is Handsome John Pruitt, JP, yes. the the tow truck driver. He's great, man. He's got man—he's so rough around the edges and gruff, and he's got the beard and he's got the the overalls. He's all dirty. They're driving into downtown Chicago. They're on the expressway. And they encounter a flat tire. They have a flat and they have to pull over. Luckily for them, this tow truck driver pulls up and it's this rough, gruff guy, the beard, big, dirty beard. And He's dirty and just kind of, and he has a hook for a hand, which plays yes. into the horror story, the ghost story. She was just telling the kids in the car. So that's all fun. And they freak out. It's a really funny moment. And, he ends up being like the friendliest dude. Yes. He's such a nice guy. And he has such a nice disposition, nice demeanor. And that's why I'm saying, like you fall in love with these side characters between him and uh, uh, Jero, the car thief. They're just these friendly dudes that you're rooting for. So Handsome John says, you know what? I'll help you. I'll take your car to the garage. And you know what? On top of that, I'll pay for the tire because I just wouldn't feel right leaving your kids stranded, right? And Elizabeth Chu begrudgingly is like, yeah, you're right. Great. Thank you so much. So he says he's going to pay for the tire. Later on in the film, they run into him once again. And at this point, the car has been all beat up, but the car has a bullet hole in the window, the windshield. And John says to them, yeah, your car's still at the garage. I paid for the window because that was my fault. That happened earlier in the film. But the tire is going to cost you 50 bucks. Yeah. I didn't like it reneged. Exactly. Because I'm like okay, you're a good dude for what you did earlier. You picked him up and you're a good dude because you paid for the windshield, but you actually said from in the beginning that you were going to pay for the tire. And now you're saying that they have to pay for the tire. I'm like, ah, uh, it's kind of on you, man. You said you'd pay for the tire. I Great that you paid for the windshield too, because that was your fault, but you should be paying for the tire because he said you were going to pay for the tire. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. I was a little upset with handsome John Prode at that point.
0: Yeah, where did that bullet go? Because you know, it went through the windshield. It had to be somewhere. I wonder if the parents oh, found the in, car. <laughs> <laughs> find the later car, on, yeah, Chris's mom finds it later on. It's like, like oh, a, a risky
1: business when they when she finds the crack in the egg. Yes. Hmm. The upholstery in the station wagon. There's a little tear here. What's in here? Oh, it's a bullet casing. Ah, uh, that's funny. So I, I can try and rattle off some other issues. All right, I got we'll to talk about. More. Yeah, go, go for it.
0: Go for it, man. So at the end of the film, we have Sarah literally hanging. Oh, my Over God, the side yeah. of a building. Huge <laughs> yeah. windows where parents' party's going on. No one sees her. <laughs> I know it's late. They're kind of blitzed.
1: I have that here too. Yeah. Absolutely. But
0: you cannot miss her. You cannot miss her.
1: Oh my God. She's glaringly obvious. She's a little mini female Thor hanging yes. out.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's not like she's wearing dark colors or anything. She's got a bright not red cape on. Blending in. Yeah. How does no one see her? And there's even a scene where Bleak, the main bad guy, crashes the party and sees her. And the way right. he looks out the window, like, if you're looking at him, you I thought look. the exact same thing. You look. Like, you're what, like, are, you what are you looking at? at? I'm going to re- look at what he's looking yeah. at. Oh, Holy crap. that's what he's looking at. My daughter.
1: Hanging outside of this window, the 40th floor of this high rise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, completely agree. Yes. All right, what do you got? So it's at one point in the story, they end up at uh, a college frat party. This is where Chris actually is introduced to her new love interest, Dan. Yes. Uh, things happen a little fast for me uh, here. We're, I call him Dan the Man. Mm-hmm. Dan the Man, they start dancing and getting rom- romantic. And she's like, I, I think I'm doing a terrible job as, job as a, a babysitter. And he's like, I think you're doing a great job. And I'm like, what the hell do you, you just met this girl? What the hell you do know. you know about her? They look into like deep into each other's eyes, and they're almost gonna kiss, but she just leans her head against his chest. I'm like, you literally met this dude two minutes ago, right? You still got a thing for Mike. Granted, he's an attractive guy; you're attracted to him, whatever. But now you're dancing to slow music, and here's my other issue, which is not really an issue. I'm just impressed with this frat. This frat clearly has money because they've got uh, Southside Johnny in uh, his band. Playing. Like, this is a decent, they got a decent band playing for this frat party. I'm like, man, you guys put it together. It's yeah. a good band. But yeah, it things happened between Dan and Chris a little bit too quickly. I was like, wait a minute. Did you, you guys literally met and now you're all kind of lovey-dovey. Uh, so that was kind of a complaint I yeah. had. Oh, also then, go ahead. Go yeah, ahead, I was going to say, gonna
0: Dan say. did lose some points for me when he drops them off the garage. That was my next issue. Okay. That was my very next issue. Yep. You got it. You nailed it. You don't leave. Even if they say to leave. No way. I would have just kind of walked to the car to make them think I was leaving. And then I was stood by the car. And
1: they literally just drove into big trouble in little China. That's what happened. The smoke's coming up. The lights turn green. And it's like, okay, now you're in a different realm. You're in a different, I'm not leaving you with these kids. Yeah. Because what I'm garage see this through?
0: is open at. It's so eerie. <laughs> it's yeah.
1: Totally. It's completely eerie. I mean, really,
0: they should have went to the garage and should have been locked because it's that late. No one keeps the garage open. Yeah, it's almost Think what, about midnight. It.
1: Yeah, it's like midnight. Well, they usually close, they usually
0: close like right at five. It's rare you would find, oh, sure, <laughs> somewhere open that late. There's no 24 hour right. garages. Even here in Los Angeles, you can't find them.
1: Right. So, Sarah, wow, what is she doing climbing out the window in the first place? She hid for a second. Sarah gets up to the high rise because she's thinking she's got to get to, she's running away from the bad guys. And I don't even know what, why didn't she just go back to the restaurant where she knew Chris and the kids were her brother. She is looking at the toys and she's the bad guys pull up. And then uh, she, I get it. She's a little girl. She's right. in a panic. She takes off. She sees the building where she thinks, yeah, that's where my parents are. That's where the party is. And that's where they work. I'm going to go there. So she goes, to the building goes up to the 44th floor and She hides for a moment, but then sees an open window and climbs out of it. Would you ever have the balls to do that? (laughs) Like, are you kidding me? I was just like, that's your option, Sarah. Is you're going to climb out the window of a high rise?
0: That's just like the way they find her made no sense either because they get in the elevator and she's got the chocolate finger marks on two of the buttons. And the higher floor button is the one. Under construction, right. But if she hit the other one first. That was a little confusing. It's a good point. Yeah. yeah. Wouldn't she have seen, wouldn't
1: the elevator have stopped at that floor first? First. And then she would have seen that's the party. That's where her parents are. Yeah. I see why they did it to create a little confusion for the other characters. But if that's what Sarah did initially, she would have stopped at each floor.
0: Yeah. There's another complaint. But that's even something I thought about too. Is like when she sees the building and I'm like, okay, she's going to run that way. Think about it, too. When you see something off in the distance and you think it's closer than it is, and then you realize she probably ran, like, what, 20 blocks? I, that, You know, funny
1: enough, Bill Bant, that was in the back of my head, too. Like, you'd think it, you know, it's it's like when you look at a mountain and you're yeah. like, oh, that doesn't seem that high. I could climb that. Well, let's go hiking. Let's go. Mm-hmm. We got to let's go summit that mountain. And then you get to the base of the mountain. And you're like, there's no way in hell we're ever going to do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, same thing with, like, you're in a city and you see a high rise. You're like, it thinks you think it's closer. Uh, than it really is. It's going to take you a while to get there.
0: Yeah. She wouldn't have been caught by then.
1: So that's all I got for for complaints. Okay. Um, But I did want to, uh, before we go further, just touch upon the music for a moment.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, I don't have a lot to say about the lyrical side. We did, of course, have to talk about, you know, Then He Kissed Me, which is uh, uh, such a wonderful song by The Crystals. There's a lot of other great lyrical tracks. Uh, Please, you know, that's a great soundtrack. You can check it out. But I just wanted to talk about, who did the original score the the film score for adventures in babysitting it is the one and only michael Kamen. i'm a huge fan of so many of his soundtracks if you're a film aficionado and a fan of film scores and uh, orchestral uh, soundtracks and also just music in general michael Kamen is one of the greats and we lost him too soon i think it was 2003 when he passed but uh, gosh, he had a crazy run. Here are some of his, these are some of the greatest hits, according to me, Jason Mesk. Highlander, which worked with uh, Queen as well on that side. That's a kick-ass soundtrack. The Lethal Weapons, you're talking about Michael Kamen, Eric Clapton, David Sanborn, Action Jackson, The Diehards. That's where I really got turned on to Michael Kamen. Roadhouse, License to Kill, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, X-Men films. Band of Brothers, that series, that's got great stuff. I mean, the list goes on and on. And if um, you are a fan of like Lethal Weapon and Die Hard in particular, you know that Michael Kamen Kamen does have a signature, just like John Williams, just like James Horner. There are just little things. You listen to the music and you're like, yep, that's them." Michael Kamen has his signature. And there's a moment in this film, Adventures in Babysitting, when uh, they are driving on the expressway and Daryl and Brad are in the backseat and Daryl pulls out the playboy Brad freaks out and throws the playboy out the window, the car window. And there's a little sound cue. There's a little music cue there where it's like these little strings. And you're like, oh, my gosh, that's the Die Hard soundtrack. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I'd be like, if you really listen to it and you know Michael Kamen, you're like, you can hear it. It just is like, ah, oh, that's great. Like I can hear it. Bruce Willis, you know, going up the stairs and Die Hard in the hole.
0: Dun, 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 dun.
1: There's some great, great stuff. Uh, so a big fan of Michael Kamen. Just wanted to give him a shout out.
0: Yeah, I think that was one of the biggest surprises for the movie for me on the rewatch going through the credits. And I was like, oh, my God, Michael came into the music for this because I did not remember at all. It's so overwhelmed by all the songs that they put in that you don't really hear that much of it. But uh, yeah, shout out to him. So that brings us to our next segment, which is, hey, it's that actor. All right. So in this segment, we spotlight a character actor you have seen in many other films, an actor making their big screen debut or an actor that makes an uncredited cameo. Hey, it's that actor. All right. So I think Jason and I might actually have the same one on this. Yeah. I, but I know you usually have a backup, but I, I want you to go first. What? Yeah, go first. All right. All
1: right. At this point in the film, this is actually during the uh, frat party, and I've mentioned several times during this podcast that the best friend, Daryl, played by Anthony Rapp, is the little horn dog, and so his hormones are raging, and he's looking for some action. And where else would you find it but a frat party, right? This character, this girl, her name is Blonde, which is funny because she just has just has black hair in the movie, and you know, just has one of those faces, it's recognizable, and you're like, oh. She's somebody she's credited as Lolita David in this movie, but we know her as Lolita Davidovich. And uh, she would then go on to be the lead in blaze. She was in raising Cain. She was a leap of faith. She was in boiling point. She was also in uh, Cobb, the Thai Cobb movie with uh, Tommy B. Jones, beautiful woman, beautiful actress, sexy, Talented, obviously, and so, yeah, Lolita Davidovich credited as Lolita, I guess it would be David, or David, yeah. as the character Blonde in this film. And uh, yes, the character, she ends up, uh, she's a little drunk, and she ends up hitting on Daryl, and they have a little moment, they make out, doesn't go much further than that. So Daryl uh, gets, gets a little excitement, thanks to Blonde, thanks to Lolita David in this movie.
0: Who, was that was that your? Uh, hey, it's that actor. Oh yeah, I mean, when I saw her on the screen, I definitely did. Oh my god, it's her. Yeah, and I remember when Blaze came out. Yeah, I don't remember anything about that film. All they talked about on all entertainment shows was Lolita. And she was a thing. Yeah, they thought she was going to be like the that. next biggest thing because no, of that of that movie. Your and I, I just remember them talking about her all the time. So that's when when I saw her, I'm like. I'm sure this is who Jason's gonna pick, but that's the person you have to pick. Yeah. It is Anthony Rapp's first movie, just you know, so we'll point that out. It is Penelope and uh, Miller's first movie? Absolutely. Elizabeth Shu's brother, Andrew Shu, is an extra at the frat party. So we'll point that out. But yeah, for yeah, we definitely have the same person for hey, it's that actor. Yeah, there there really is no one else to to point out that's just gonna be
1: as good. So the only other one I'm gonna point out is. Joe Gipp was the character's name the car thief who okay. was played by Calvin levels Calvin levels, which is a great name
0: mm-hmm. and
1: uh, he was in a show called Miami Vice that's right plays character Rudy Ramos and the episode happens to be one of my favorites Teresa from 1987 which is a great Miami Vice episode which Stars who? Bill? No, I don't know, Obviously, besides the main
0: cast, I can never say her name. uh Bohm Carter, Helena Bonham Carter. Helen you got Bonham it. Carter. Yes, Carter. Yeah, I just gonna yeah. say former Mrs. Tim Burton. That's how I just remember her.
1: <laughs> so uh Calvin Lemel uh, Levels, who plays Joe Gip in this movie? Yeah, it was in an episode of Miami Vice.
0: All right. So let us move on to facts and trivia. If we have any facts and trivia left to talk about. Do you have anything for facts of trivia you would like to share? This was also known as a night on the town in certain countries. That really would make me run out and see that movie. Isn't it crazy? I know. Sometimes these other names they come up with. I'm like, do they not have babysitters in other countries? That doesn't even sound a night on the town. Does that sound
1: like that sounds like a, like it's a date movie. Like it's like, or the characters are going out, like going out for a night on the town. Mm -hmm. Yes. Weird alternate title. Yes. Yeah. Paramount Pictures had uh, the first, uh, the right of first refusal, but demanded Molly Ringwald be cast in the lead.
0: When I saw that, I was like, I could see that. Oh, to- sure. Sure. Oh, yeah. You could see it. Yeah. 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 But I thought like a shocker it would work. Yeah. 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 I was like, it'd be different. Yeah, she would actually work. Yeah. It would be di- definitely be different. But I was like, yeah, that would actually work.
1: The thing, I guess, you know, the thing about Elizabeth Shue, I think Elizabeth Shue is extremely grounded for some reason. She feels very down to earth to me. At least that's how she plays this character. Not sure Molly Ringwald has the relatability
0: for me that
1: Elizabeth Shue does, but that's just a personal thing,
0: maybe. Yeah, it definitely would have felt like a totally different movie with her in the lead, but I could see her in it. Great. But yeah, great. the movie, yeah, the movie a, feel a like lot Based different. on looks alone, yeah, I could see it too. Yeah, it would almost seem less comedic to me right. with her, but I think it would still work.
1: Yeah, it's a tough one. So t- yeah. it's tougher than you would think now that I think about it a little bit more. Cause Molly Ringwald can obviously play comedy. I mean, we know this. I mean, she's, she's great. Molly Ringwald's great. Yeah. Yeah. So over 150 actresses, I guess, auditioned for this lead role and it came down to the wire between Elizabeth Shue and Valerie Bertinelli.
0: That was surprising to me Yeah, to see that. Cause I really can't think of any Valerie Bertinelli movies off the top of my head.
1: I, I know she was definitely a thing. I think when I hear her name, I think of Eddie Van Halen.
0: Oh, yeah. So I kind of mentioned the um, writer before David Simpkins. Yeah. He actually had a cameo in the movie. He was in the fraternity scene. That's right. He was the one with the glasses that points out Chris at the party, thinking that uh, she was the Playboy model. Yep. Um, Also, in the original script, it was not Thor, because we talked about that. Why the obsession with Thor? The original obsession of Sarah was actually Dan Rather. She was a news junkie, and she loved Dan Rather.
1: Ah. Oh.
0: And then they scrapped that, and we're going to make it the Chicago Bears. Bears. I, that's,
1: I read that.
0: Right. But then they kind of scrapped that because they're like, with the way football players come in and out, if we put someone in the scene, they might not be on the team by the time the, the movie comes out. Then they were thinking about Spider-Man. Sure. And that didn't work. And then they were going to do He-Man and Shira, which I, I would actually like that was very 80s. I, I could definitely see Shira from He-Man.
1: More like what a little kid would watch because of the cartoons and such. Yeah. Right? See, this is what we were talking about earlier. Why it's strange that such a little girl would be a Thor fan.
0: Right. Not that there's anything wrong with that.
1: But no, we love Thor. Thor's amazing. Thor is awesome, but just not prominent in the pop culture of that time. Mm-hmm. Am I mistaken or no? Was there a Thor? Anim- like, was he in the animated?
0: He, I think he might like- have appeared once or twice in like maybe Spider-Man and Friends. Like, I didn't know what his home planet was. I didn't know whose major enemies were. I just knew he was the right. guy that flew around with that anvil. That was it.
1: Yeah. Mjolnir.
0: I didn't know anything else about him, so I always kind of found that weird. And then, yeah, Chris Columbus turned down the He-Man one because he had no idea who He-Man and Shiro was, and but he was a big uh. Marvel fan, and that's why they ended up with Thor.
1: Right. He would thought about getting into writing comics and stuff, but thought that would be too much of a solitary existence mm-hmm. uh, and wanted to be around people and make movies. So.
0: Um, so this is a fun little fact I came across. So at the end of the movie... After Chris brings the kids back and we think everything's okay. She, you know, she leaves the house for the day and Dan pulls up in the Jeep and, you know, she's like, how did you find me? And he's like, Oh, Sarah left her skate in the car and the, and the skate has the address, right? That is the actual address on the skate of the house where they filmed that at. Oh, it, wow. It's for Valley Ann drive. The city's different because of, they shot in Toronto, but the actual address of the wow. house. So if you ever go to Toronto and want to see where they filmed the house, that is the actual address of the house that is on the skate. So I apologize for the people living in the house of all of a sudden yeah. these people are, are driving by. <laughs> the address is in the movie. Sorry. So I'm just gonna point When are that we out. gonna do
1: our little you, me, Marwan, Chris, Pat, whomever? We gotta get together and we gotta do our little uh, homes from the movies tour.
0: Yes, I
1: know because there's so many obviously around this area. We just never have for some reason. I mean, we we have in different ways and sometimes even mistakenly, but not like consciously concentrated effort
0: yeah, to do it. Geez, my wife yells at me like every six months because I have not yet taken her to the Nightmare on Elm Street house.
1: I just was looking at some Facebook photos of a buddy of mine who's, uh was in New Mexico doing a Breaking Bad tour. Oh, like, okay. Oh, that's some of the locations from the show. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, that's cool. That's great. That's fun.
0: Yeah, we got to do that. So,
1: um, this film was actually adapted into an unsold television pilot
0: of the same name oh, for CBS geez. in 1989. Did you try watching that? You can find it on YouTube, really? If you can get more than five minutes, then you beat my record. It's horrible.
1: Wow, the one that starts I guess it stars Jennifer Guthrie,
0: Joey Lawrence, and um yeah, and Brian Austin Green. yes, it's terrible. Oh wow, that's you can actually see it huh yeah, the quality of the video, whoever uploaded it is is horrible too., mm-hmm. but you can see why it never got past the pilot.
1: There you go. What else do you have for fun facts and trivia, man? All
0: right, so um, just last thing for me, a little Back to the Future connection, both Elizabeth Shue and yeah, this um, is great. Yeah, Maya Bruton, who played Sarah, are both in Back to the Future movies. Sarah is in Back to the Future 1. She is uh, Lorraine's youngest sister in the film. So in the scene where they're at the house, uh, you'll see her at the, the dinner table. And then Elizabeth Shue ended up replacing claudia wells um because of uh, family commitments that she couldn't do two and three so we see elizabeth shoe in back to the future two and three so a little back to the future connection yes so. marty's girlfriend yep. yeah jennifer i guess there you go uh bradley whitford
1: was allowed to use his own camaro for this movie and it has the license plate so cool the actual license plate bradley had on his car
0: yeah, I know. It's like, oh, man, when I read that, too, I'm like, oh, I guess Bradley's a douchebag, too. And then I was got, trying to yeah. look up stuff I, mean, I was like, I've got oh, some... some bad stuff that came out about it. Again, him. I, I would walk. I just say, Mr. Whitford,
1: look, I'm a fan of your like, come on, West Wing, Billy Madison. He's great. Uh, bad guy in that antagonist. And I'd be like, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of yours. But ultimately, I'm going to have to destroy you uh, because of what you did in Adventures in Babysitting. I mean, I would give him forewarning, I'm just saying, Uh, but i do it for you, Elizabeth. Oh, this is kind of cool. So in the beginning, when Chris, Elizabeth, she goes over to babysit, parents have left and she's putting a movie on the TV to watch that her and little Sarah can watch. So here's a little background. One of the movie's producers... Uh, that is one of Adventures in babysitting's producers is Deborah Hill, who teamed up with John Carpenter to make Halloween back in 78. A horror movie about a stalker who murders babysitters. So you listen carefully. So when Sarah, the little girl, and Chris, Elizabeth Shue, are watching television, the music you can hear is John Carpenter's chilling Halloween theme. It's an in-joke. So you can't hear it. And I remember I'm like watching that scene going, oh yeah, I know that's isn't that from yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, here's a great one, man. I had no idea about this. You see uh, Brad's coat and also Brenda's coat is from Hemingway High. It's Hemingway High School. That's their like uh, right. leather jack- high school jackets that they're wearing. That school is fictitious. However, Ernest Hemingway was born and raised in Oak Park, Illinois, where the movie starts and ends. Yeah, that's cool. I I'd no- I'd never knew that. I don't know why.
0: There you go.
1: That's all I got for some fun facts and trivia. All
0: right. Another quick one. Do it. Do it. Elizabeth Shue actually has another role in the film. She plays an extra in the frat scene. So I guess she was getting bored on the set. So she went to the trailer, changed her clothes because she wanted to like do some dancing. So she changed her outfit and went into the dance scene of the frat. So you go back and see if you can find her. I'm not. Oh gonna my- you, I'm not going to tell you where she is.
1: But <laughs> she is back there somewhere.
0: So... Uh, like, like i said you'll find you'll find her brother easily but let's see yeah. if you can find her outstanding all right so let us move on to a box office so this movie was released on july 3rd 1987 on a budget of 7 million it grossed 33.8 domestically it debuted at number nine in the box office but moved up to number five the next week with a 45 percent increase in box office ticket sales However, it never did better than number five and was out of the top 10 by its sixth week of release. But it would be a hit, though. Yeah. It made five times as much as its budget, which is always great. A studio happy view double. So the fact that this did that much more, it would be considered a hit. Uh, moving on to reviews. When growing up in the early 80s, we loved catching at the movies with Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert to hear their reviews and watch clips from upcoming movies. The review of the film was split. Hmm. Roger gave it a slight thumbs down, saying it drifted too much from realism to absolute unbelievable fantasy. Lots of stuff to like, but not enough to give it a thumbs up. Gene slightly gave it a thumbs up. Thought there were enough funny scenes. And like that, he wasn't sure where the movie was going to take you next. They both praised Elizabeth Shue's performance in the movie. And both of them loved the blues scene. That's great. So that brings us to our final thoughts. Jason, what are our final thoughts on adventures in babysitting?
1: I'm going to start with our director, Chris Columbus. This guy did all right for himself. If this was all he'd ever done he still would have been set for life. So he wrote gremlins. He wrote the screenplay for the Goonies. He directed home alone, one home alone two, Mrs. Doubtfire. And then he does the first two Harry Potter movies. That's pretty good, right? Yeah. It's a pretty good resume. Yeah. It's all right. So yeah, he's pretty well, well off after that. I'm just going to go give shout outs to these side characters and uh, side, uh, the actors Brenda played by Penelope Ann Miller, all of the hijinks that ensue when she gets are just really funny uh, to me when she's initially in the phone booth and there's like a homeless guy rapping on yes. the door and, and just saying, you're in my house. Yes. You're in my, and she's like, the, the homeless guy's slippers are inside the phone booth. And she has to open the door, kicks the slippers out and goes, you're move. You're moving. <laughs> or it was, yeah. you just moved. That's what it is. Cause he goes, you're in my house. <laughs> you just moved. She's freaking out. She's hilarious. She loses her glasses. She thinks she's picking up a little kitten. It's a giant jumbo sewer rat. Her reaction, she screams bloody murder is hilarious. One of my favorite parts in that whole sequence that I'd laugh out loud every time is when she's in that bus station, which is supposed to be grimy and filled with uh, narrow dwellers or whatever, and she looks across the way, and there's just a guy who pulls a gun from his jacket yes. and does a creepy smile. He doesn't do anything with it, right? He yeah. Pulls the gun like... Oh, look at me. I'm <laughs> she freaks out. I think there's somebody here who's going to kill me or whatever. Or, oh, there's somebody here with a gun, and I think I'm next or something. It's just I, all the stuff she has is really funny. It's way over the top, but I think that between her, uh, John Pruitt, handsome John Pruitt, the guy with the claw hand, uh, is played by John Fork Noonan. Uh, we said Joe, uh, the car thief is played by Calvin Levels, even Dan the man, the frat guy, George Newburn. You know, these characters are really likable, but it's just a a credit to the actors, too, because uh, they pull it off. They sell it. That's just a big part of why these 80s movies work is that they have a talented cast. These people are selling, you know, these ridiculous circumstances and scenarios. They just make it work. So very, very uh, likable characters in this movie. You know, it's such a weird thing with this particular movie, the fact that, this could be such a wholesome film and you have two different versions out there right now that I know of one being on Disney plus and one that you can rent otherwise. And the one on Disney plus, they take out some of the, uh, it is somewhat edited because there are a couple of moments that are inappropriate. And there's one that doesn't quite hold up today. Well, it doesn't hold up at all today. Uh, it's no, no bueno. Uh, you can't say that You shouldn't be saying it and uh, you can look it up Regardless, uh, if you were to take those out, I mean, this is, could be really a, just a straightforward, wholesome kids movie.
0: Yeah, because you think about there's really that one line that makes it PG-13. and That's the don't fuck with the babysitter. Right. The other is derogatory against Thor. And even the writer right. regrets that's in the movie. Um, mm-hmm. we're not, we won't say what it was. But yeah, you, yeah.
1: you, take, you, those,
0: you take those two things out.
1: And, or if you took out some, there are, there are sexual innuendos in it. There's a couple of things that get a little, during the frat party, uh, one of the drunk frat guys says to Daryl, like, oh, look, it's a talking penis or something like that. But there's simple things that you can take out. And if you took those things out of it, which Dizzy Plus took some of it out, it's really just a fun kids movie. Uh, So it's really, really lighthearted. Uh, and entertaining in that way. The thing about, I had I, I brought up earlier about the adventure of going into the city. This is what I thought about why I think this movie really works on it. Maybe a subconscious, subliminal uh, level for me is that I remember that idea of a kid, especially being, living in a, a, you know, somewhat distant suburb of Chicago, but going into the city was such a big deal. It was an entirely different world. It was this fantasy world. And this is what I had written down is that I love the idea of going into the city is like entering a fairy tale unto itself with untold adventures lying in wait. So it's a fairy tale through the child's eyes. So this movie is literally like what a kid would imagine going into the city would be like and how the encounters would go, one leading to another. It's how a child sees it happening. The adults might be dealing with the scenarios in different ways, but the kid sees it and kind of sees it in a fantastical way. And so, and in this film, if you think about it, it all starts with Sarah saying, that's where Thor lives when she's pointing to one of the skyscrapers. And then the adventure begins and you're really watching it like a kid would see it unfold. And so all these crazy things happen, but it's like as if maybe these things actually didn't really happen quite the way we see it in the movie. But it was, as, it's almost as if like a, a, a kid would come back from a, a night on the town With uh, the babysitter and something come and tell you their version of events, and that's this movie. Does that make sense? Yeah, exactly. That's kind of how I see it, and that's what makes the story right. That's what makes this so much fun, and why again? Like, if you, it's just a romp from beginning to end of a very kind of innocent way of looking at going into the city on an adventure, and what's going to because whether it be, I mean criminals in a chop shop, you have Daryl talking to a prostitute, you have gangs on a, a train facing off. and But there's no real violence. Nobody dies in the movie. Technically there is one body count. There's one for the yeah. body count and it happens off screen. They, yes. they reference in, in the hospital. Otherwise, nobody dies. Everything kind of gets resolved peacefully. Like I said, all the side characters whom you think are, they are criminals or darker characters happen to be on their side, they're friendly. And then it comes to Thor, who then you think is not on their side, and then he gets turned and he uh, has a heart of gold. Like, so it's very, there's a level of innocence in this film, again, that really works for me. And I saw it obviously through a child's eyes when I saw it as a kid. But again, watching it now, I'm just like, yeah, I get it why this, they sold us, why it sells, because it is over the top and ridiculous in moments. But it just has a twinge or taste. a touch of realism, just enough that you go, ah, yeah, sure, could happen, you know. <laughs> but it's more like it's kind of more of a, a fantasy. That that's my take on it. And here's one. Here's one last uh, thing that I'm going to bring up. Final thoughts, because this is a, a, a nitpick I have in a lot of movies. I love that the streets are dirty in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> this is going <laughs> to sound weird, but I think I brought it up maybe another podcast. If not, I'm sure I will in the future. There's a lot of films, especially today, especially today, movies, blockbusters, TV shows, where they will wash down the streets. They spray them down, they clean them down. Mm-hmm. And it's so apparent that either that street is on a back lot or it ruins the suspension of disbelief for me because I've been down an alley, I've been down a street, I know what they look like. There's pieces, not trash everywhere necessarily. But if you're in a city or an urban area, there will be some trash on the street. It's too clean, takes me out of it. And in this, they purposely put trash out. And when they were shooting some of these scenes in Toronto, they had an issue because garbage disposal would clean the streets. And they're like, wait a minute, what happened? We had all this great trash on the ground. (laughs) Like It's part of the set dressing. What are you doing? They cleaned it up. Now we got to throw trap. got to find some trash and put it on. I had to tell him, don't, don't do your job. <laughs> don't clean up the trash. We need it to look like it's a real uh, back alley in a city, you know? So uh, that was just one of my other final thoughts. I'll save my closing thoughts for the closing, but what else do you have for uh, more thoughts after thoughts?
0: Just really quick for me. Cause I, I haven't seen this movie in a while. And I think two of the things I do remember early on, was I did not like the Daryl character as a kid. Hmm. I, I found him annoying. And I was just like, oh, I'm glad I do not have a friend like this. And you know, like I said, earliest memories was just that, that girl obsessing over Thor. But now watching it now, it's kind of funny because now Marvel's so big and Thor's so right. big. I'm just like, you don't think about it again. You're just like, oh, yeah, people love Thor now. And Thor's a big fan. So that character certainly works now. It's like, oh, in a way, they're ahead of their time. And then... Daryl, I'd liked a lot better watching it now. I was like his character worked for me more watching it this time hmm. for some reason. I don't know. he got he kind of came around on him watching it on this, and I, I thought it worked a lot better so that was that was kind of funny doing a rewatch because you know sometimes you're like, "Oh, m- the movie gets worse or watching it so much later." But for this, I was like, "Oh no, the characters work a lot better, but yeah, I just really thought it it just seemed a little more disjointed to me, okay than normal. But I still enjoyed it and I would still recommend it. But yeah, there's was, there was just something that just was a little uneven for me. Like, and then even like listening to Siskel and Ebert's review, I was kind of like, ah, oh, yeah, I see what they're saying. Cause I'm kind of feeling the same thing that they were kind of feeling. So like they were literally both like on the fence talking about it. Like they were really like, like the way they were talking about it, you thought for sure they were going to give it two thumbs up. Mm-hmm. But then when they said, Oh, slight down, slight up, I was like, Okay, I get that. Uh, I it, it makes sense to me. I would recommend it. I would say if you've never seen it before, watch it. Don't watch the remake that Disney did a couple of years ago, or even watch don't even try to find that show and watch it either. That right. Was, the pilot episode of the yeah. Because yeah. there's no way it's like, how would you make how would you make that to the show? I'm like which they're gonna have the adventures every week. It just made no sense.
1: Right. Good stuff, man. I appreciate it. All I right. So, it. Go so ahead.
0: before we get into final thoughts, I just want to throw out a question. Favorite babysitting moment growing up or a story that you can actually share uh, with the audience? Do you have something?
1: You know, I just remember uh, I don't have a great story. I just will say this much. I remember a, a couple of the babysitters I had. I had a major crush on my first babysitter mm-hmm. in Lindenhurst, Illinois. She would come mm-hmm, and watch myself, my sister. Uh, she was just a just really, really sweet and just beautiful, at least to me. And uh, I remember being on vacation once uh, in Lake Tahoe, fortunately, and uh, my parents, I think, went out uh, for a night on the town. We had a really cute babysitter, and I was always trying to entertain and make the babysitter laugh. That was always, I think, as a kid, I was just really goofy because I was that was my way of flirting. And so I remember the, the, you know, some cute babysitters for sure. And then babysitting myself, uh, this was just a couple of years ago. A good buddy of mine was in a a bit of a pinch and I had to watch his three little girls. And I was like, Oh boy, this is going to be interesting. And I hadn't babysat in a while. And, uh, one of them was just a little baby. And, uh, it's the first time I I ever, and I've been a swinging bachelor for a long time and just never I've, I love kids. I've been around kids. I've been exposed just for whatever reason have never had to change a diaper. Diaper So the last babysitting experience I had as a babysitter, I finally changed a diaper. And I have to say, I was very successful. (laughs) It went smoothly, fortunately, luckily, and the overall experience was great. The girls are great. My friends and his wife are, are beautiful people and great friends of mine. But, uh, so yeah, that's all I got for that. What tell, tell me a babysitting story, Bill Bant.
0: All right. So the one babysitter story that always sticks out for me was, so my parents are going out, of course, and I'm the oldest of three and our normal babysitter couldn't watch us. So we were going to ask our neighbor from across the street and she was a little bit older than I was a couple years older. So she was going to come watch and like her parents like, oh, you know, we'll keep an eye too. So don't, so don't worry. So my brother and sister go to bed, babysitter and I decide we're going to play this game and we're going to pretend that we're like in this Egyptian temple and we're going to shut out all the lights in the house. and We're going to go around the house with flashlights and explore, pretend we're explorer. I had such cool babysitters that would play along in these games. Oh my God, that's great. So I lived in in Philadelphia. We call them row homes. So it's like three floors. So you have upstairs, your bedrooms, the middle floor is your living room, dining room, kitchen. And then we have, you know, the basement. So I remember we had one of those like foldable tunnels that you could, you know, that were like six feet long, and uh-huh. I, I, I rig one up to go into the basement. So we would climb down this tunnel to get into the basement. And we have the flashlights, and we're, you know, pretending everything's like this artifact, and we're picking it up, and we're like, oh, what is this thing? It would just be like your normal everything, like a television. Like, what is this object? And we would, you know, be describing what the thing was. So we're going through, you know, the house and then we go like in our laundry area and right in our laundry area, there's a phone. So I literally like, oh, what is this? So I'm shining the flashlight in the phone and I'm about to pick it up and it starts ringing and we start screaming at the top of our lungs. We are so (laughs) fucking scared and we try to run up the steps, but of course the tunnels there. And Jason, I think I made it up my stairs in two steps. I think I jumped on top of the tunnel to the kitchen and babysitter comes running up after me. And of course the phone's still ringing. We're like, Oh my God, who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? My babysitter goes to pick it up. It's her parents. She wanted to know why all the lights were in the house. If something was wrong and going on. So her parents scared the shit out of us. Uh, That's That's always (laughs) the one babysitting moment that always sticks out is that's how old were you again? It must've been 11. Okay. Yeah. I was kind of up there a little bit, but still that that's great. I love it. But yeah, it was funny. I mean, I was like this close to picking up the phone and started ringing and scared the crap out of us. Like, oh, hell yeah. Are you kidding? Yeah. And I probably screamed first to be honest. I probably, oh, probably did scream first, sorry. and then she screamed, and that made me scream, and then we just started running. Like we, it was like a Scooby Doo thing. Like we literally oh, ran right. over each other. Like yeah, the dark, and like Yeah,
1: even though it was your own house, but so. But
0: I will always remember that moment. That's great stuff. Good story. I love it. Uh, yeah. So, fun. Fi-
1: yeah. Final thoughts, Jason. What do you got? Well, uh, yeah, I had a couple of questions oh, for yeah. my my closer. Okay. One. Uh, how do I get the Playboy featured in this movie?
0: Oh yeah. Yeah, because I read something like she said that was like the worst part of of making the movie was doing the the shoot for the, the photo shoot. It, it was yeah.
1: her. Okay, I I actually did not do any research on it for some reason, but mm-hmm. I I imagine there's a copy of it somewhere. But uh, yeah, um,
0: but there they are no tasteful photos. Yes, yeah, they are tasteful. Yeah, she said you know, there no you
1: keep seeing the centerfold pop out, and it's just it's like her with a towel, like a bath yeah. towel or something. Like you don't see it, it's
0: like a shag so, blanket. Yeah, but. Uh, kind of having
1: fun with that. Uh, But yeah, here was my, my dark alternate ending was like, what do you think about this alternate? We think everybody gets back safe and in time, you know, Elizabeth shoe pops onto the couch, but at the very end, Sarah ends up coughing to death because she never got her medicine. And then just, and then it just smashed black. Yes. (laughs) Like they get through this whole thing. Like all these adventures that they survive all this nonsense and hijinks and everything. And they survive it all just to get back, and then she just starts coughing her ass off.
0: Yeah, you'd think all that running too that would trigger. I, I'm just also. saying. Yeah, uh, that's a big hole. <laughs> I, I think that went from late Yeah,
1: but I'm glad that this movie had a great uh, happy ending. Even though, yeah, very similar to some other eighties movies' endings, and they all work for their own reasons and their own stories. So. For, yeah, my closing thoughts, I would definitely recommend this movie and I'm going to differ from Bill a little bit in my opinion where I went with it. Uh, I was in Hook, Line, and Sinker. I went with the flow. I thought it flowed great, even as ridiculous as it uh, it seems because it was clever enough, it was written well enough where it made sense as in the probability of some of the things that happen are in this movie are so slim yet they're still within the realm of possibility in my mind. Like a truck could actually pull over and help you with your flat tire, or you could be in the middle of the night on a train and a gang shows up, or you might randomly walking into a nightclub and ending up singing the blues. That's that, that one might. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you don't maybe think
1: so? Outside of the realm of possibility, but for the most part, I went was along for the, the adventure and I, I guess I'm just a sucker, man, because I go into watching these movies wanting to like it. I want to love it. And again, I want kids to, like I would want my niece and nephew. That's what I was thinking of. It's my knee, my my nephew's 13th birthday. And I hate that he's getting older, that he's a teenager. Because I had so much fun with him as a kid and doing the things like you were talking about. Of the little adventures you were having with your babysitter we do the same stuff you know and you you blur, you know forts and adventures and i would want him if he were still a little bit younger my niece who could still to watch this movie because you take out some of the some of the sex and violence i guess and, and it's just a it's a fun kids movie and if you watch try to watch it through kids eyes it's really entertaining that's what i got how about you bill
0: well, yeah. Like I said, I, I agree, too. I, I think it's a film. Uh, if you have not seen it, check it out. We know Jason likes Elizabeth Shue. She's excellent in this. If you have not seen Adventures of Babysitting, please do so.
1: You notice I didn't actually mention Elizabeth Shue. In I, I was
0: impressed. I was impressed.
1: She is a big reason to watch the movie. Uh, you can see why so many so many of us young men uh, fell in love with her at that time. And uh, she's a great actress. She sells it.
0: All right, so I think that about wraps it up for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, next week will be a special mini for the Labor Day weekend, so enjoy your last weekend of the summer. And uh, then after that, our next movie will be the 1982 sci-fi adventure film Star Trek II, Wrath of Khan. Yeah. Simon, William Shatner, Leonard Nimoy, and Ricardo Montalban. As always, please subscribe, give us a review, and rate us. You can email us at all80smoviespodcast at gmail.com. Please send us your feedback, questions, or recipes to share. You can follow us on Facebook at All80smoviespodcast or tweet us at PodcastAll80s. Until then, have a totally great week, everyone. Thanks for staying up with us. Good night, world. So, my earliest movie of this film. Your earliest movie of the film? What? Did I just have a stroke.
1: <laughs>